Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, Liverpool Football Club have just gone to Turf Moor, and they have beaten Burnley by one goal to nil. I'm delighted to be joined by Fergus in Portugal to react to this. Um, if you've got any questions or comments, put them in the you know put them in the comments section on YouTube. Subscribe all that stuff if you want to. Um, Cop on podcast is just for you, the Liverpool fans, uh, connect to Liverpool fans across the globe. And Fergus, this result. I mean, you can look back on on seasons. You know, it's easy to look back at points dropped, and you know, looking back at you know, for example, the the, the points we dropped against Chelsea, the points we dropped against Manchester City, and, and regretting them dearly. But it's results like this that are equally important, that are positive results, where you show so much character and fight and you come away with all three of the beautiful points that's so satisfying. And I'm delighted at how we got the job done today. How are you feeling? Yeah, feeling really good. I agree with you. It's um, It was three hard-earned points, um, relatively comfortable against... Burnley. Burnley is never comfortable to play against. But today, considering some of the matches we've had previously, it was relatively comfortable. You felt in the last 10 minutes, the last five minutes, they'd really run out of street, out of steam. So very tough conditions, bad weather, wind and rain, which affected us obviously more than them because we're, we're trying to pass the ball with more accuracy. But um, yeah, it was a relatively comfortable three points. Uh, one nil away to Burnley is, is is a good result for any team. It's 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 a marvelous thing. It's a marvelous thing. I mean, in their three previous matches, Burnley had got three draws, including draws against Manchester United and Arsenal. So they were in good form for them. They they signed the big man Veghorst, Vout Veghorst, and it, it was so it was it's it's a beautiful result because if you think about all the burnley team i think they they all got sevens and eights um i would even give veghorst maybe an 8.5 i thought everybody played well for burnley um you know they they created a few things but still liverpool were just too strong for them um what did you make of burnley's performance i thought it was uh, well i mean I, I was listening to anfield rap as i often do during the week they provide such good content and um and Neil Atkinson uh, made a good point that Burnley is probably the best 20th side in the, in the division that we've ever had. Yeah, um, true. yeah, so, which is really true. And he said that after they played Man United and um, Man United got a draw, uh, struggled to a draw. So well done to Man U. Um, but uh, so, yeah, they were a really uh, tough test for us today. They compete, they compete ruggedly. Um, and I think it's a testament to how well we competed as well, that we were able to match them and basically just um, put them down uh, gently and with a whimper in the end. Um, so, yeah, Ber Burnley were very good, especially in the middle of the park. I mean, I thought the middle of the park today and the central defence were our strongest um, elements. But they also, it was a really good competition in the middle of the park with Brownhill and Westwood against um, Fabinho and Cater and Henderson and... Thiago when he came on. So, um, yeah, tough tough game against Burnley. Nick Pope is is one of the best goalkeepers in the division. He didn't have a lot to do today. Um, we, did, we did have quite a number of attacks, but he's, he's a very difficult goalkeeper to beat. And um, 
Burnley were good, as you say, Weghorst, what a signing. Uh, good, uh, big, tall player, but good on the ground, really links the ball well. He, if he got more goals, he'd probably be p playing for a top side. He also doesn't really have pace, but he's an excellent um, target man. So I don't expect Burnley to get relegated this season. I was watching Norwich yesterday against Man City, and they were absolutely dreadful. If, if um, Burnley are the best 20th place team, in the Premier League ever, then I'd say Norwich are the worst 17th place team because they can't defend for their lives. They they just seem to lack any commitment to the cause. I don't know what's wrong with them mentality-wise. I've seen them in a few games this season. And you know, the way, you know when a player sort of has a half-hearted attempt to block a cross or to get over to, to um, cover his man, that, that seems to happen all the time with Norwich. I don't know what it is, if it's fitness, ability, confidence or commitment, but there's something fundamentally wrong with how, with how they, uh, with the, their culture or their play as a team. So, I mean, Burnley have, have that in spades, have commitment in spades. Um, you know, it comes from Sean Dyche. They're an ugly team to play, an ugly team to watch. But you know exactly what you get. You're going to get a 4-4-2. I think they're the only team in the division now that plays with a right-footed right winger in Aaron Lennon. And that, today they had a left-footed left left winger in Maxwell Corney in a 4-4-2, which is the old style. You know, I grew up, I was playing football in, in up until the 90s, and it was always a 4-4-2 with a left-footed uh, guy on the left of midfield and a right-footed guy on the right of midfield. Even Gerard in his early days, you'll remember, and Beckham used to be right-footed players on the right of midfield. So they could swing those balls in to to a centre-forward. And Burnley are still playing that way, you know, 20 years later. Um, but really what marks them out is their commitment and their belief in what they're doing. And it's it's you know, it's it's basically the the best of old-fashioned British football. Not a lot of guile, but they have quite a lot of quality. You know, you saw in tight situations today they were able to to to, to knock it about a bit and keep possession a bit. So you know, fair dues to Burnley, but uh, and it's good to get them out of the way really with a good result. Absolutely. No, you mentioned you mentioned their midfield as well. I was really impressed with Brownhill and. Uh, Westward, they're absolute snappers, and and yes. I think Vekhorst. I mean, if he does, I mean, let's hope he does recover from whatever knock it was that he got towards the end. But uh, but I mean, you know, he can give anyone. He's a, he's an upgrade on Wood, and I like Chris Wood. I think he's a, yeah. He's been a, he's been a what do you call it? Like a solid performer, a consistent performer over yes. over the years. But um, let's take you back to the to the beginning of the game. I mean, before the match, I had the jitters as I often do. Um. You know, there were some interesting first, uh, you know, pre-match stats. For example, Burnley haven't won a hadn't won a home league game since January 2020 on, that had been played on a Sunday. So all of the omens looked good. Um, you know, uh, Liverpool won their first. That Liverpool had won our last five Premier League games against the side bottom of the table by an aggregate score of 12 to nil. So now you can make that 13 nil. It was a great result, a beautiful result, as we said. But, uh, you know, before the match, I was a little bit nervous. When the team dropped, it was interesting maybe that, uh, you know, uh, Matip was was chosen over Ibu. There were various things that, that caught my eye. Matip started over Ibu. There was no Thiago, Nabi Lad back in. And, um, yeah, the traditional front three, uh, Firmino, 
Manet and Sanna pre preferred to to Jota. Um, is there anything that, that that caught your eye with the starting lineup? I mean, you know, were you like me? You were just perfectly happy with whatever Klopp chooses. Yeah, very interesting. It's very hard to predict a uh, Klopp lineup, as we all know. Um, he has he very much um, has his own mind, and of course he does. He sees the players in training. But it, it was fantastic. It was really interesting today to see. Basically, he chose, if I'm not mistaken, our Champions League winning lineup. So despite the fact that we have so many players back from injury, um, uh, such as Elliot, and we also have Thiago, who's relatively new signing. We've got Roman um, Diaz on the wing, who's also a brand new signing and was probably man of the match in his debut. So despite those uh, those people um, competing for places, he's basically thrown out the first or, or put, put put the first eleven on the field, the classic Liverpool first eleven. Okay, Cater comes and goes depending whether he's injured or not. But um, the other ten pick themselves really. Uh, gone with the front three, which is always the front three, and said, "You guys, listen. You're the guys in position. You you guys have the shirts. There may be some." hungry people snapping at your heels on the bench but um oh, oh, it's okay you've got some nice some sweet books on me the san antonio police are okay that's right oh blimey okay you that was a random um bluetooth speaker came on okay well <laughs> well that's good that's good it's good to know um yes. but no good <laughs> no great but but yeah, so, so dropping, yeah, when the, when the team sheet dropped, I thought that's really interesting, psychologically speaking, that he's, he's chosen the first 11, including the front three, and he's told the others who are on the bench, this is the side you have to break into. And we did actually, we played really well for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes. I thought we were excellent. Burnley then came back into it, made it difficult for us. Just looking at the shots, total shots, it was 12 to Liverpool and 8 to Burnley. Uh, they had um, five on target. We had four on target. Although most of their shots on target were um, pretty easy, pretty comfortable for Allison. He made a couple of really good saves, but I think both of them were offside in the end. And Liverpool have the best um, offside record in the league. We're always catching teams offside, and, and we've done it again today. So, yeah, in terms of the lineup. Uh, um, not unexpected. Henderson over Thiago in midfield. You'd expect the graft of Henderson. And I thought Thiago made a difference when he came on. He was class. His first touch of the ball was just a chest and then a pass to to um, Salah. And I thought Salah was fouled there, but um, it wasn't given. So, uh, yeah, as I said, the interesting thing from the lineup is He's he's thrown on the first eleven and told those who have come back from injury and the new signings, this is the side you've got to break into, and that's really consistent with what Klopp has done over the years. Yeah, totally, absolutely. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah. That that penalty that penalty uh, that penalty shout. I mean, let's let's talk about it now. We don't have to go through things, uh, um, you know, uh, as they happen. I mean, one of the big yeah, it's one of the big things from that from that first half. Um, the the thing is, right? Okay, so I've been I was teaching uh, the head of VAR last year in France, a career referee. It was very very interesting guy, and it was really interesting to hear the referee's point of view. The French referees, of course, and we every week we would sort of analyze what went on. In, in Liga and analyze what happened in the Premier League. And what he explained to me time and again 
Oh, what he explained to me, and what he explained to me time and again, is that you know it's it's ambiguous the clear and obvious error thing. And in his opinion, and in my opinion, what the wording should be is it the correct decision or not? That should be the wording. But because it's, if you look at that incident back again. Um, it's not Martin Atkinson's fault at all. The angle of the connection, the angle where he is, he's in a good position, the referee. The angle where he's looking at the incident is he can't see. Mo Salah's body is in the way. He can't see Veghorst connecting with his ankle, which he does, and he trips him, and it's a foul. But by the time it goes to VAR, um, all VAR is looking for is, is there a clear and obvious error? Not was it clearly and obviously a penalty, which is what it was. The therefore the referee will do the VAR will do everything in their power to protect the on-field referee by basically saying, "No, I'm not going to call you out. Uh, this isn't, you know, even though he didn't see it, it's not an obvious error because there was minimal contact, and you could subjectively say that the, because the contact was minimal, it wasn't a penalty. But it was a hundred percent a penalty, Fergus. And I just wish that they would change this freaking wording. Yeah, well, it, that that wording or that application is only really done in in the Premier League. Oh no, because... it's, in, it's 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 worldwide, no, because it's not even obvious. Yeah, yeah. But but uh -huh. I, I was watching uh, other tournaments such as the African Cup of Nations and they would genuinely send the referee to look at the screen to genuinely make a decision based on what he saw. Yes, that's a yes, that's a different yes. That's that's something that they could have done and should have done is say exactly and to the, that, to that's have the problem look. with the culture and the way it's applied in EPL. It's like they're trying to protect their colleagues rather than trying to get the right decision. Exactly. And it's a problem with their mentality. It's, you know, everyone would be happier if they could just get the right decision more often. But they seem to have us, the referees in the UK, Mike Riley and the, um, forget the name of the company, but it's a private company which is contracted to the Premier League. And um, they, I think something like the Match Official Limited. And uh, the P MOL, yes, PGMOL. Professional Game Match Officials Limited, yes. Yes, it's a limited company. So they have this um, trying to protect this attitude. They're trying to protect their position. They feel under siege. They're always trying to, it's almost like they're trying to have a culture of just trying to cover up and cover their asses rather than actually trying to do the right thing. So that company should just be sacked off and they should just get in, even if they have to hire referees from from all over the world they should they get you get um players from all over the world in the premier league so why don't they hire a different contractor who gets you know the 12 best referees in the world or 20 best referees in the world and hire them to come over and, and work yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. The, yeah. or, or ex-referee i mean just just the var parts they could they could uh, subcontract couldn't they yes exactly um the, the, we have i mean my brother does as his job, he covers a lot of La Liga and European football, mainly La Liga. And he, he's always told me that the Premier League has got the worst referees in the top five leagues in Europe. And I don't watch enough football of the other leagues to know it's that's the case. But I, I certainly believe it from what I've seen.
Yeah, totally. But enough about the referees. Let's talk about the positive things, the the positive performances uh, from Liverpool. Um, you know, like oh, I don't know, there were lots of positives, but let's let's talk about the goal. I mean, it came at a great time, as goals always come at a great time. Uh, this one happened to be in the 40th minute with uh, Trent with the the wind blowing the ball away from the corner. Uh, triangle thing and um, you know when he finally got the ball to settle he whipped in a beauty of a ball and what was non-Burnley-esque uh, not that that's a word but it is now was was the fact that they weren't very reactive in the box compared to Liverpool and both Mane with that stooping header and Fabinho to not just once but twice get his shot away on target. I thought it was a brilliant goal because, you know, you need great reactivity in the box at all times, whether you're attacking or defending corners. And I was just so happy. Big Fab, his fifth goal in seven games. What's going on? Why has he turned into Ian Rush, Fergus? Yes, it was sheer commitment from from Fabinho at, at set pieces. And, you know, I think without him today, we could have really struggled to score because we didn't have that many clear-cut chances. So, uh, you know, I, I was just marvelling at his mentality today. He he was determined to force that ball into the net because he had the first shot, it came off Pope, and then he was he was still going at it and got, got the rebound off Pope into the net. And, you know, when you think about it, we didn't have very many other clear-cut chances. So... Um, whatever's going on, he's, he's got a huge determination from set pieces. I don't know, maybe he's um, maybe he's placed a bet on himself to get 10, 10 goals this season, but he seems to be highly motivated to score anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Superb stuff. So Fabinho, um, Naby Keita and, and Jordan Henderson. What did you make of Hendo uh, with his, uh, you know, was it 60 minutes or something on the, on the pitch? What did you make, make of him today? Uh, I don't think Hendo had his best game today. I thought the whole right side was was off, especially Trent and Hendo. Trent had something, just looking at it now, and who scored, he had something like uh, 69% pass success. And we know he tries, he always tries the risky ball. That's part of his, um, his uh, you know, his role in the team is to, to, to be a creator. Um, so he, he was, uh, Trent had one of his worst games that I've seen in a long time for Liverpool. Almost nothing came off apart from, did he get an assist for that goal? But anyway, almost nothing came off, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the corner was great, but but it was Mane's header who sort oh, of... That was it, exactly, to, yeah. To, to Fabinho. I mean, he's, he's on his passing completion, just quickly before you carry on, but, it, you know, it was um, 70... Sorry, his average over the last year is 74.6%. So, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. 60... What did you say? Sixty-nine percent was it? Yeah, sixty-nine today. Okay, yeah. So I, I think that's not. I mean, that is way below his average. Five percent is a big drop off. So yeah, you're right. He wasn't quite on it, but I think the wind had a big factor in that because he often plays those long, beautiful floating passes in the air, and I think that maybe that was a, that was a big problem. Um, yeah, but, and as as for Henderson, Henderson didn't look quite fit today. I, I think it, it was the right decision to start him because. Although he's not the footballer that Thiago is, in terms of this, just the, the the beauty and and touch that Thiago has, Henderson can can get about the field. He's got longer legs. He's more mobile than Thiago, 
so uh, it was a, it was uh, the right decision to play him but um it, it, i thought he he did he did well without having an outstanding game our right side was, as I say, with Trent, Henderson and Salah. Sadly, I had hardly any of the ball. Again, as you say, possibly with the wind, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't getting um, the, 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 uh, the feed that he normally gets from Trent. And, and it seemed Burnley did most of their attacks down the left as well with Cornet and Peters. Uh, and Brownhill was on the left as well. So that was a tough side for Liverpool. And um, Henderson did his bit for 60 minutes, but um, I thought Thiago was excellent when he came on and and really um, uh, moved us up a level in terms of our ability on the ball. Yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Thiago was good when he came on. Um, about Mo Salah, yeah, he ended up with 44 touches in the entire match. Um, his passing completion was just was 71.4%. Um, but Henderson's passing accuracy was only 50%, which is way uh, below his his average on after 36 passes. He's normally up in the 90s. So yes, you know, passing exactly. wise, he but you know, credit cool. to Burnley. Credit to mm -hmm. Burnley. You're absolutely right. You know, Brownhill was there, um Westwood as well. You know, inter the interception and the snapping they did, and also I don't know, just the, their all general organization was very good. So well done to them. But uh, yeah, Mo, Mo Salah, he had 28 passes, 71.4% passing accuracy, two crosses, one key pass. And uh, in terms of shots, he only managed one. It wasn't on target, one key pass. Um, Bobby Firmino, you know, he's staying with the, staying with the forwards. I mean, do you think he... he Links the play well enough, or or it, was he, I thought he looked a little bit rusty um, today. I don't know, rusty is the right word, but it's just not quite as 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 clinical as he could have been. Not in terms of his finishing, but in terms of his passing, in terms of keeping you know keeping everything ticking and fluidly moving along. He wasn't quite at his very best today, I thought, but I'd still give him about a six and a half out of ten. I don't know yeah. what you say. Looking at, I, I, I was actually impressed. I know it's always subjective when we watch a player and watch a match to try to judge his performance. So I thought he, he played well today. I thought he was one of our better players. But according to who scored, he gets, um, who scored.com, he gets a 6.8, whereas Fabinho gets a 7.4. I thought Fabinho was our standout player today. And according to who scored, that, you know, I always like to check in with, websites like who scored to, to see if my eye my eye test is, is 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 borne out by the stats stats don't tell us everything but in this case it is Fabinho got a 7.4 and he was our outstanding outfield player and Allison was our man of the match for the 7.6 not really sure why that was Allison was very good today but I thought a couple of the saves were called offside but um Fabinho was excellent today one of apart from the goal he really knitted things together in a, in a tough midfield battle. I thought Firmino did well today, quietly knitting play. I mean, we were under a lot of pressure. Um, Burnley play this type of, I don't know what you call it, but I, I, I would call it fight ball. I think Klopp calls it fight ball where, you know, <laughs> yeah, where the ball has to go up in the air and then it's a, and then it's a, it's a challenge and then you fight for the second ball. That's, that's how Burnley play. You know, ball into ball into an area, a challenge, a clash, and then a fight for the second ball. So yeah, it's fight ball really. And and 
you know, Fabinho did well against that. And Firmino kind of glided around the pitch, just trying to link play in amongst all the fight ball. And I, I thought he did well, but, um, you know, what, not one of his better games. But for me, Fabinho was our man of the match. And I also thought that Van Dijk and Mata were both imperious today. They were brilliant yes. today. Yes, You know, absolutely. we're up against big horse. Rodriguez is probably a bit past, long past his best. Yeah, but so, so yeah... You, I think you agree with me that they were both fantastic today. And I, I, also, I still think Matip doesn't get enough credit, you know. You hear a lot of Liverpool fans, long-standing Liverpool fans, talk, hark back to Joe Gomez. Oh, there was a time when he was this, the second-best centre-half in Europe. And, you know, they still yearn for the Gomez-Van Dijk partnership. But I think that in Matip, we, we probably do have the second-best centre-back in Europe and the best centre-back in Europe. You, you can't really touch Matip for his defensive abilities and his passing, his dribbling. You, you know, I think we should really be grateful for Matip. That there's not enough credit given to Matip. People talk about um, Kunate, they talk about Gomez, as if Matip is just a placeholder until one of them sort of, you know, suddenly comes into the team and asserts himself. But, I mean, I think Klopp certainly agrees um, um, or with me that that Matip is his first choice centre back beside Van Dijk, his first choice partner, and Matip has been our second best um, centre back since he signed for the club. Yeah, it's interesting one. It's an interesting, really interesting one because yeah, Matip was brilliant. There were two, two. I mean, the, you know, really noticeably, there were there were those two brilliant clearances from crosses towards the end. You know, in the last few minutes. Um, but then there's all this stuff that's that's less noticeable about Matip, like when he's just in the right place at the right time and he's able to just sort of stride away with the ball rather than, you know, it's nothing spectacular. He's just perfect. He's perfect defending. He doesn't even have to really try apart from just read the game. Um, his positioning, the offside line was really good today. Really, really good because, you know, Burnley tried again and again, the long ball, long ball, long ball. And, uh, you know, the understanding between Virgil, um, Joel and the fullbacks is is superb. I mean, personally, I would have I would have probably played Konate. Obviously, we don't see the players in training, but I would have played Ibu and saved Joel Matip for, for Inter and then the game after in the Premier League. But, um, just because Ibu, I love the way that he's sort of, you know, when when the defending, the real gritty, hard defending um, is needed, he sort of, you know, he he rips his shirt off and he's like, yeah, I'm into this. And he's well into it. He's well into um, hardcore defending. Um, whereas Matip is more just, you know, composed. And, you know, I thought, you know, Ibu would, would get down to the nitty gritty of away at Turf Moor. But then on reflection, of course, Jurgen Klopp is, is, is you know, he's, he, of course, he knows infinitely more than I do, but he's he was entirely justified because Matip's coolness is what we needed at times, especially, you know, under pressure. I'm a nervous eater, Fergus. I'm a nervous eater. And with five minutes to go, I went to the cupboard and I got all these corn cakes from the cupboard and um, I was sort of slathering them with peanut butter and jam. And they sort of, and at one point they sort of, there was a big spill as they, I sort of spilled them all over the floor and then I had to pick it up and still try and watch the game. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute, I had, I had a nightmare. But, uh, you know, just uh, did you, were you nervously chomping on some 
beautiful Portuguese food like pastéis de nata, or were you cool as a cuke with those last few minutes? No, the last 10 minutes, including the extra time, the last after 80 minutes, I was pretty cool. I, I, there's always a, obviously a chance that that um, they might, that uh, Burnley might get a chance, but I, I was, Liverpool seemed to have it well in control, especially after the 82nd, 83rd, 85th minute into injury time. So I wasn't worried at all, but um, yeah, but I also had some, a couple of corn cakes, corn, uh, those corn crackers and, and, oh, and a few of tea during the match to keep me going. And it is hard. It's a hard watch sometimes to watch Liverpool. As Klopp says, you know, this is Liverpool FC and we always make it hard for ourselves and felt the same today, you know, could have been more comfortable. Um, and I, I also thought, I think Andy Robertson deserves a, 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 a words of praise today. I thought he was excellent on the left, uh, down the left today. Um, uh, he only gets a 6.9 according to whoscored.com. But um, I just thought he was he was always a threat going forward. So much energy now. I think Simicas in the background has really um, uh, inspired him to, to to back to his best form. And I thought also a word for Nabi Keita today. I mean, if Keita plays like that every week, you know, we really do have a good midfielder. He was unspectacular, but he was really solid. He was very strong, very hard to dispossess. And, you know, that's the type of midfielder we need, a, a kind of a genie, exactly. genie replacement. And, and if Keita can stay fit and keep performing like that, then, then you know, we have a, a very, very solid starting, starting midfielder today. And we don't ask for much more from, um, from Keita than that. If he, we do know he's, he's got a very good shot on him, especially from outside the box. He's accurate. He had a, he had a, uh, a good shot today, which... Pope saved really well. Uh, I think Cato was disappointed he didn't hit it a bit harder. But um, that's exactly the type of performance that that we want to see from Cato going forward. Solid, dependable, in the right place, defensive, holding the ball up, just like Jeannie did <laughs> over the years. So, you know, uh, big praise for him today. As for Mane, I thought Mane was quiet today, probably suffering a bit of a African Cup of Nations uh, Glory winner, uh, trophy <laughs> champion, hangover. He's but, still uh, on the come down, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. But uh, he he did okay. Um, it was tough for our front three today because it was all about the midfield battle, wasn't it? So they didn't get a lot of chances. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Sadio Mane still managed three shots, though, which is impressive. But the yeah. most was you know was 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 Fabinho with also three, uh, two on target for Fabinho, which is both of those shots. That he had in, in his second that led to his goal had Sadio yeah three on um three shots one on target and uh, no he's really 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 good yeah uh, Nabi Kato you're you're exactly right we do need that kind of keep it simple be muscly you know be be present and I thought you know I do think you know there is something to do with like nostalgia for for Genie Vinald I mean and and rightfully so I mean he was fantastic he was fantastic I'm not playing him down. But those, because we always look uh, on who scores and we look at the passing uh, statistics, etc. There were games where the the the, um, the nickname of of you know a bit harsh, but of ghost was a little bit oh someone's, someone's dropped the dropped the uh, dropped the corn crackers. Okay, no, it's okay. Don't worry, don't worry. Oh, okay. There are more in the cupboard. Um, yes. And uh, no. <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he would have about, you know, sometimes as low as 27 touches in a match. Naby Keita had 85 touches of the ball today. Uh, if you compare to Fabinho, who had only 68, Henderson in his uh, 58 minutes on the pitch had 48 touches. Um, Thiago, when he came on, had 35. So Naby Keita, 85, he was very visible, he was very present. And uh, yeah, as you said, hard to dispossess. 90.1% passing accuracy. Absolutely brilliant from Nabi Lad. Um, yeah, he's uh, from 71 passes. So yeah, he was really, really good. Really, really, really good. Um, yeah, and uh, you mentioned Virgil uh, in passing, really. Um, but I think Virgil, I mean, he's 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 strutting his stuff like John Travolta in a disco these days. He's... He's way he's back to his very very best in my opinion wouldn't wouldn't you say I would say uh, in fact I think his game has changed slightly he's he, I I I'd like to see it clocked uh, his speed but I think he might have lost a yard of pace I'd hate for our opponents to to hear that but um he makes up for it well first of all Liverpool have the best offside line in the, in the league so that really helps because every time you, you see him turning and running back, inevitably, nine times out of ten, the guy's offside anyway, whoever gets behind him. Uh, but he, he's, he doesn't seem as, as fast as he was before, you know, say it quietly, but he, he does seem to have, you know, make up for that with his strength and his positioning and his ability to, to just get... Uh, uh, you know, a big one of his big body parts in the way, uh, and just knock the ball away. Uses physique to to bully players out of the way. Generally, fairly, it's very rare you see Van Dijk give away a free kick. So uh, you know he it's he's um, he's still still the best. Uh, I don't know what do you think. Do you think he's lost a bit of pace? Yeah, well, I think perhaps half a yard or something like yeah. he did look he did look um definitely slower when he was slowly making his way back mm -hmm. but um now i think you know i don't know i don't know if he's really been tested enough with like a proper sprint but because he, he never he was always deceptively quick anyway he sort of looked mm. like he was gliding through the air so i'm not sure maybe yeah maybe um Klopp's comments uh i've just uh are just in um you know Klopp said it was a perfect afternoon uh raining and windy we scored from a set piece and it was a brilliant goal to be honest a counter-pressing goal everything today was set up to be a banana skin for us the balls in the air were so tricky to defend because the wind came from all directions we played the circumstances sorry we played the circumstances rather than suffered from them. And that's a wonderful thing to say uh, from Jürgen Klopp, who does have a marvellous gift for saying exactly the right thing. Um, but there's something about, you know, the way that he's instilled this mentality, you know, where, how he's always saying you have to use disadvantage to your advantage. That's the only way it makes sense to Jürgen Klopp. And he's transmitted this to the players, hasn't he? And, and, and you know, you've got to credit Klopp for instilling this mentality in everyone, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we saw from our title-winning season and the season before when we almost won the title, went within a point or two of City, that these are the types of games you have to win when 
the the elements are against you the wind the rain um you know a tough tough away side like burnley so this can go down as one of the most important wins of the season of course city are i mean they were 12 points ahead before kickoff i often hear people talk say that city are six points ahead but i mean we have a game in hand they're, they're back to nine points now we have to win that game in hand to bring them to six points city don't look anything like dropping any points um we know that they do have a tendency to blow up on occasion but at the moment with the, the size of their squad the quality they have raheem sterling you know one one that got away for us scoring a hat-trick yesterday uh, they just cruised and eased past Norwich. I know they do have a tough, uh, they've got pretty easy fixture list now, but uh, coming up around the time they play Liverpool, they've got a tough run of games. So, you know, we just have to keep on going. And and now that Liverpool are touch wood back to our strongest squad, you know, it, we, we really have to win every match from now to the end of the season, go in a huge winning run. In not only in this competition but in the Champions League, and and hope that City start to drop points. I think they will. I think we can get them. I think psychologically we've got the advantage. Um, yes, Man City are unbelievable. They're they're a brilliant football team. Um, you know the fact that Liverpool have have now um, lost twice in forty six matches, which is an incredible statistic, and still Man City are that far ahead shows you how how incredible they are but i just think that if we were to win and win and win and so we win at the etihad and go three points behind them i think they might choke they might choke at that point but yes of course it's a long shot of course it is but i think we can focus because i think all the momentum in a weird way is with us because all of our players are back all of our players are fit we've got through january with some good results we've uh, started february really well um i think the the champions league which we'll talk about in a minute is going to be it's going to be good for us it's looking good we've got the right style of play for the champions league um and us and our strength in depth with luis diaz coming in um the players are going to be fighting each other for for places i i i really think that you know at the same time as as the pressure is off for us like our our players are not expected to win the league so we can we can relax and play play and play the games i really think everything's playing into our hands and all of the pressure is on city and at one point <laughs> they're gonna panic a bit too much i mean i don't know am i just being overly optimistic fergus no i think we do have a good point and we know that guardiola is already bringing up liverpool in the press conference and he's willing to talk about liverpool he, they're clearly in his mind in his head and we know that uh once you get into Guardiola's head, he he can do strange things because he's it's almost like he's got he's got so much power and so much ability with his squad that he overthinks things and he he tries to to adjust when he doesn't need to adjust. So let's see. You know, I I think that if we start to put them under pressure, they can crack, and Guardiola can crack. Start selecting the wrong team start saying the wrong thing, probably blow a top at his players. So, you know, we, we just have to put them under pressure and, and see if they can, see if they can crack. Yeah, so it, we're in, we're, it's a still a long shot. We're second favourites, but um, 
it's great to see that we've left Chelsea and so far we've left Chelsea in our wake. You know, Chelsea fans, they love, they love giving it the big one, you know, bags of money and all that. I don't know if you remember that uh, Harry Enfield, loads of money back in the yes. 90s. Yes. So Chelsea fans love giving it a bit of loads of money, Abramov, splashing Abramovich's billions around with his gold-plated fittings on his yacht and their £100 million <laughs> Lukaku. I mean, I was looking at uh, Brogia playing for Southampton yesterday, and, I mean, Southampton are playing brilliantly these days. They're kind of, they're, they're like, um, they play it very similar to Liverpool. Their players aren't as good, but they really, they're they 100% energy and pressing throughout the field. Um, very impressed with their manager and their coach. You know, he's bounced back from a couple of really um, uh, bad, bad results, like a couple of nine nils and, you know that they're a great team to watch. They're a team I always try to watch because they're so wonderful to watch. Um, but they, they um, so yeah, so so uh, Chelsea splashing it around all that money, a hundred million quid on Lukaku when they have a player on loan called Broja who plays for Southampton, who's actually better than Lukaku in in every respect that Lukaku does maybe it, okay hasn't scored quite as many but Lukaku scored hardly anything this season but he's a um he's great on the break and he's a very he's good um, yes yeah. very good uh, target man as well so you know typical Chelsea they go and blow 100 million quid on in the nightclub when they could have stayed at home and watched Netflix and they'd have just a, just as good a night and, and they wouldn't have that wouldn't have the regret <laughs> Oh. But this is it. No, but this is it. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's a point I've been making for for years. Is that you know I think what Liverpool and FSG FF, FSG if I can say it um, have figured out is that there really is a pyramid. There's a pyramid of players, and and the very very pinnacle of the pyramid, the very very tippy top points where you've got your Mbappe and your Holland. That's out of our range in terms of we can't afford these players. We're not going to bother affording them because in that second tier, mm -hmm. you have players that range in value from Paul Pogba, 100 million, to um, N'Golo Kante for Leicester, 8 million. Um, you know, and, and you've got world-class players. Kante, of course, is better than Pogba if it, anyone suggests Otherwise, you know, coponpodcast at gmail.com. Please e email me and I will organise uh, a fist fight, uh, but a gentle one, uh, because I am a pacifist and I'm scared of getting hurt. But uh, or basically, I'll just email you back and tell you just how wrong you are, because, of course, Kante's better than Pogba. So, of course, you can save yourself £90 million by shopping in the second tier and just finding the right player, which we've hopefully done with Luis Diaz, uh, and it looks like we have. Because the other day I did a, a comparison um, between the Man City and the Liverpool attack, which I want to put on the screen now. Because for me, it's very, very, very telling talking about the, 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 the race for the Premier League. I mean, if it's a bit of a race, I don't know, we're doing catch up. I don't know if you can see that. I'm going to zoom in for those who yes, might not be able to see it. Um, but yeah, these are the cost of the players. So Sterling, 57 million compared to Salah, 37 million. Grealish, 100 million compared to Mane, 34 million. This is all pounds, by the way, British pounds. Mares, 61 million compared to Bobby, 29 million. Gabriel Jesus, 27 million. Louis 
Christie has 50 million. Bernardo Silva, I'm putting him as an attacker um, because he sometimes plays in the front three. Uh, and Jota, 40 million. Taki, 7 million. Divock, 10 million. Cade Gordon, 3 million. And Oxlade Chamberlain, because he also plays an attack sometimes, 30 million compared to the final few attackers. Of course, they have Foden and Palmer for free, but Ferran Torres co cost them 28 million. And Julio Alvarez, who won't feature this season, cost them 13 million. But the total for Manchester City in on all of those attack plays is 330 million compared to Liverpool, who have spent 240 million on our attack. We've got better players there, I, I, I would suggest. I would suggest our attack is, is deeper. And it's not just a suggestion. You can actually look at the stats. Um, if I could bring them up on the screen, uh, maybe by making this a little bit bigger or smaller i don't know technology uh yeah there you go so you could see some goals this is before um yesterday's game against norwich so raheem sterling has now moved on to 12 goals Grealish has three goals gabriel jesus has six goals ferran torres had three goals before he mysteriously went to cash strap barcelona for 55 million uh riyad Mahrez having a wonderful season 16 goals and uh, Bernardo Silva, eight goals. Compared to Liverpool, where Mo Salah's got 23, crazy. Sadio Mane, 10. Diogo Jota, 15. Bobby Firmino, 7. Harvey Elliott, 1. Minamino, 7. Divo Carigi, 5. Cade Gordon, 1. And I didn't even bother to put Oxley Chamberlain on the list because, well, didn't have time. But he was, uh, Oxley Chamberlain's got a couple of goals as well. So our total goals, even without. Oxlade Chamberlain is 69, and without, uh, you know, the Fabinho, Fabinho Rush, uh, you know, it, our total goals is 69, and our total assists 20, and so the goal involvements are 89 compared to just 70 uh, for Manchester City, plus three from yesterday, so 73. We're still um 16 goals ahead of them. So I put it to you, Fergus, that. All of the talk about the um, squad depth of um, Manchester City being so much greater than Liverpool's is a complete myth that Liverpool's attack is better. I would argue our midfield is maybe better as well. Our defence is certainly better than Manchester City's. And it just goes to show that FSG's approach is completely justifiable. It's completely right. You save yourself hundreds of millions because it's unnecessary to spend it. Um, maybe the league table will tell you otherwise. I don't know. What do you think, Fergus? Yeah, you have. You make a very good point. And as you know, I've defended FSG for a long time. I've I've often said, contrary to most Liverpool fans, that FSG are the best club owners in world football. And I I don't say it lightly I, you know we, we came from a place where under Hicks and Gillette where the club was in danger of well I mean it's of going going to probably not folding but you know it was in a very bad place and um, they have been the, the the smartest people in the room when it comes to owning a football club they have spent money when they've had to they've spent it wisely very few I mean I would have put um, Nabi Keita in the in the sort of in the transfer um, blooper bin until recently, until you know he starts to turn in performances like today, and you know he can redeem himself. 
but apart from that, we've had very, very few. It's hard to think of any um, players that haven't proved to be value for money at least. So uh, FSG have been fantastic owners. They've been the best owners we've had since, was it the Moores family? You know, that, that who are, the, the people who used to own Littlewoods Pools. They were the... Um, they, they owned Liverpool during the glory years of the 70s and 80s. Um, but what FSG has done for this club, you know, one new stand, a second new stand on the way, um, put in a world-class management team, not just Klopp, uh, but behind the scenes as well. Statistics, you know, analysis, buying the best players in the world from under the radar, there's a great, I mean, we know that um, John Henry is an advocate of Moneyball. I'd recommend anyone who hasn't seen the movie or read the book to read it, to read the book. It's a great book um, and it's a great movie starring Brad Pitt. And it's it's a great book and a great movie for nerds. It's not a book and a movie which has got car chases and, and guns and and The Rock and, and uh, you know, beautiful women and... <laughs> But it does have lots of interesting uh, nerds, nerd characters doing baseball stats. And it does have an appearance from John Henry at the end. I don't think it's actually him. I think it's an actor. But John Henry is the man who comes and hires Billy Bean, who's the player, who's the, the, the character played by Brad Pitt. He tries to, but yes, tries no, spoilers, to no spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers. Okay, it's in. Okay, it's it's actually a factual story. So I mean, we're not. You know, if you don't know the history, it, it's in the movie. Um, you know, it's it's, a, it's the book is based on fact. And, it is. Uh, yes. yes. So yes, it's a great book. Mm -hmm. In the baseball world, I mean, John 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 Henry is one of my heroes in life. I don't know what he does in his spare time, but. For, for the way he's built his businesses, his soccer club, foot, soccer, uh, football club as in Liverpool and the, uh, the Boston Red Sox baseball. I don't think he's got an American football club, but for what he's done in, in sporting, he, he's transformed two of the greatest and most historical sporting clubs in the world and brought them back. Boston Red Sox hadn't won a, a World Series for decades. They had some kind of curse. 80, 80 odd years it was longer than us exactly and we hadn't won the premier league or the first division as it was in 30 odd years so you know that, for that alone you know that man can can rest easy at night he can go to his grave god god rest him when he does having lived uh, a long and prosperous life having transformed the lives of many many people and made an impact in the world. So yeah, FSG deserve all the credit in the world for what they've done. And I, I really, I think that all of those people who who um, who who doubted FSG over the years, and there was Twitter accounts, and even today, it's still like a dirty word, FSG. But for what we've done, how we've competed against Man City, I suppose my final point is that if it wasn't for Man City and limitless oil wealth and, and Newcastle on the horizon, this Liverpool side would have dominated the league as much as that great 80s team did dominate the league in the 80s. And, uh, and I, you know, as a, as a witness to that time, you know, the, the football we're playing now is, is as exciting as that 80s team. And if it wasn't for Man City not having a level playing 
field, spending hundreds of millions of pounds more in the transfer market. We would have dominated Europe. Well, I mean, Europe is a different story, but we certainly would have dominated the Premier League as much as Man U did back in the 90s and as much as uh, Liverpool did in the 80s. Yeah, it's it's really interesting answer because yeah, FSG they do deserve a hell of a lot of credit. And with this model, with with shopping in the second tier, but buying the right players, um, you know, I mean, look at their their record. I mean, they they're doing extremely well by being so smart. So, I mean, our, 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 all of our most top ten um, uh, most expensive signings ever have all been under P, um, under FSG, not PSG, uh, FFG F. SG, blimey, slow down, Brad, slow down. Um, FSG have bought them all. And with the glaring exception of Christian Benteke, which is Brendan Rodgers' um, insistence to go against the mould to spend that money, they've all been marvellous successes, in my view, with the jury out being on Cater because he hasn't proved it yet, but I think he will in St. Petersburg in the final this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Bobby Firmino, um, Mo Salah, Sadia Mane, uh, just go through the list here, Jota, Fabinho, uh, Benteke, Luis Diaz, Naby Keita, Alisson, and Virgil van Dijk. Like, none of those broke any records apart from the top two, uh, which have since been superseded anyway. And they've all been amazing, like truly incredible signings. Obviously, we don't know about Luis Diaz yet, but he looks like he could be as well. Um, but anyway, let's move on for the last thing I want to talk about, Fergus, before uh, we chip off is Inter versus Liverpool, because this is the next game. Um, Inter Milan's record, I'll bring them bring up their, their record on the screen. And if you're listening to this in uh, as an audio, all I'm sharing on the screen is a list from Soccerway of their matches. Uh, so if we have a look at Inter Internazionale's recent matches, um, they've basically they've been on they've won one, two, three, four, they've won five of the last eight matches in all competitions, going back to the 9th of January. They've drawn two. That was against Atalanta away, nil-nil in Serie A. And the last match against Napoli, um, just yesterday as we're recording this, so on Saturday, um, they drew 1-1 away to Napoli. They lost uh, the derby against AC Milan um, back on the 5th of February. Uh, so that was just a week ago, basically. But in between, they had a great result beating Roma 2-0 at the San Siro. Um, it's not going to be easy, this, because uh, they're in pretty decent Decent form, one five, drawn two, lost one from the last eight. And there are loads of reasons why, even though I don't watch Serie A, like many people listening to this, there's a there's a reason why we should we need to respect this team because they're they're having a really good season. Um what what are your initial, you know, what feelings about Inter Milan away, which is our next match? Yeah, it looks like I mean Inter Milan had a really good start to the season. They were they looked to be um Running away with the top of the running away at the top of the Syria, but since then AC Milan have caught them, beat them in the derby. So um, it looks like they've struggled in the bigger matches they've had this season. They've lost against, well, they drew against Napoli and lost against AC Milan. So uh, I think, although I haven't watched Inter much this season, they've lost their best player in Lukaku. So um, uh, and they they have signed one or two new players, but. Um, I, I would expect just just based on the comparison between the Premier League and the Serie A that 
Liverpool as one of the top teams in the Premier League should be able to overcome Inter over two legs, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you'd have to fancy Liverpool, wouldn't you? Because we're, we're you know, we're, we're so much more aggressive and, and so much better at pressing and, and so much more a complete team than you get in Serie A, really. I mean, we, we dominated Milan, didn't we, in, in both games against them. But I think Inter are a better team. I mean, they they've Milan are shading it in, in Serie A at the moment. They've got 55 points compared to Inter's 54, but Inter have a game in hand. Uh, Milan have lost four of their 25 games and Inter have lost only two of their 24 games. So I think they're in, they're in good, you know, they're, they're, they're being good spirits. They'll be fairly confident, although, of course, you know, a loss and a draw in your last two um, is not so good. But uh, yeah, there you go. Um so who would you play, Fergus? Who would you play? Because uh, if, if we go back to, you know, Napoli's, Napoli versus Inter Milan in the last match, the, the lineup for um, uh, for Inter was Handanovic in goal, De Vries, Skriniar, who I really like, and De, De Marco as a back three. And then five in midfield from left to right. You've got Perisic, Chelhanoglu, Brozovic, Barella, who apparently is suspended against us, and Dumfries, Denzel Dumfries on the right. And then up front, they had Edin Dzeko, and you mentioned Lukaku being their best player, but I reckon Lautaro Martinez is has got to be up there. He's an amazing attacker. So they look dangerous. Who would you play against them? Who would you play in defence, first of all? The same back four as today? Yeah, definitely. The same. You have to pick up our first choice back four, and Alisson in goal. Um, I would probably go with uh, the same lineup as today, possibly Thiago in place of uh, Henderson. Uh, but I having said that, that, okay, yeah, I, I, I sometimes think we lose something when Henderson is not on the field. He, he, he has um, a personality and a drive that you know he, he really is uh, uh, the leader on the pitch. So even when he's not having the best game, he's he shouts and he he pushes the players. So uh, we know that uh, Thiago is a great footballer, but he's you know he's more or less a, an individual and you know and 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 leads by his playing rather than by his um you know his shouting. So guys, and then the front three, you know, I I think my guess on who Klopp will play is he'll play his, his strongest lineup and his strongest lineup tends to have tends to be the, the team that we picked today. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went with the same team, possibly with Thiago in place of Henderson. Henderson didn't look fully hundred percent fit today. So I think that's what he might go for. So you wouldn't be tempted with uh, with with Jota, even though he's he's bang in form. I would be very tempted with Jota. I'm sure Klopp will be as well. But when they analyse that um, the midfield, that, that Milan will have a Inter, Inter will have a good midfield, you know, with Chalhanoglu, Brozovic, and Barella. Uh, so what one thing that Firmino does is he he allows Liverpool uh, to work the ball through midfield. So can pick up a ball from Matip and turn on a sixpence, as they say, and 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 start to play and play nice balls through to the attackers who are running onto them. So, you know, Firmino really offers us an extra man in midfield, whereas Jota, 
is very effective uh, running with the ball. He can play simple build-up passes and he can play a good through ball when he has the time. But he doesn't really have that link play that you get from Firmino. So, you know, for me, I would start with Firmino in, in the attack and have Jota at the bench. Yeah, interesting stuff. I would, I would, uh, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably do the same, but I don't know. I might, I, I, I don't know. It's very difficult. But yeah, I, my midfield, I play Cater on the left. Um, yeah, Fabinho and Thiago, same back four. So it's just up front. Yeah, when I play Jota, I might. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I play Bobby to 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 you know to drop back and and pull their their uh, defensive you know centre back three apart a little bit, um, probably. Mm-hmm. Although with a five a three five two, there are ways that we can you know, when we attack get behind them. And I wonder if you know if we're going to go all out. I would possibly play Harvey Elliott. On the on the right of midfield, and uh, Tiago on the left, maybe, and that way Harvey Elliott can link up with Mo Salah, and Trent can get in behind, and put the crosses in for Diogo Jota to bang him in. But now <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting too excited now, Fergus. I think I'm going to have to yeah. call it a day because I'm going to go think, for, um... for a jog. Yeah, well, well done. That's great. I just, uh, you, you know, you've got my creative thought process flowing now as well. I'd okay. save Harvey Elliott for the home match uh, okay. because Harvey's such a great player to get the get the fans up on their feet. You know, he's such a creative player. He's potentially our best player. You know, he's got that much ability. Okay. Yes, he's got. He's he can beat a player just with a touch, and then he can knock a beautiful ball across the box. And create a goal and harvey's ceiling is incredibly high and the other obviously wild card we can throw in is luis diaz mane was although he had three shots today he did look a bit tired if if mane's out of sorts you can start luis diaz on the left he's coming in at uh, with a great deal of um, momentum from his porto season so we could uh, and so he'd have no fear going up against Inter Milan. he's played champions league um with Porto before, so that's the other wild card we could throw in is Luis Diaz up front on the left instead of Mane. Um, but yeah, there you go. And I think we'll probably keep it tight in the away leg and throw everything at it in the second leg. Very interesting. I can't wait already, but we're going to go bouncing into that game thanks to a beautiful, beautiful result. It's so satisfying to have beaten Burnley in their own on their own patch, on their own turf, quite literally, turf more. And thank you so much for, for talking about it post-match with me, Fergus. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, yes. thank you so thank much. You. Have a great time. Until next time. Thank you, everybody, okay. as well in the chats. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. My thumb's fallen off. <laughs>